it's sometimes a challenge when you come in as a quote unquote outsider talking to people about an area that they just feel they know. And that's where data can be really helpful because it removes some of that sense of, well, you don't know anything about us, like you're not from here. And it's that's where it also becomes really important to think about how you structure the story behind the data, right? And how you communicate that with people. Welcome to the Esri in the Science of Aware podcast. You just heard Maria Alicia Serrano, Senior Director of Research Analytics and Insights for YMCA, allude to the potential of data visualization to command attention and tell powerful stories. Here, Esri's David Gadsden investigate how geospatial tools and sophisticated analysis enable the Y to realize digital transformation and its mission to strategically strengthen communities. Maria Alicia, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. You're the Senior Director of Research, Analytics, and Insights for one of the most well-known community engagement organizations on the planet. It might be a stretch, but for anyone not familiar with the services that the Y provides so many communities, maybe we could start with you helping us get a quick sense of the mission and scale of the organization. Oh, I'd be happy to. You know, our purpose at the Y is really strengthening community, and we do that through three different areas of focus. We talk about our work in youth development, healthy living, and social responsibility. And our hope is that everyone, regardless of their race or their background or gender, has the opportunity to thrive. Now, what that looks like varies from why to why, because we really want to reflect local community needs. We're across the country in every single state, as well as Puerto Rico. Uh, there's a total of 2,600 uh, buildings that have the Y logo on the side of them, but we also do a lot of work in schools and churches as well. We like to say that we serve over 16,000 communities and 20 million individuals. You know, in preparing for our conversation, I noticed your professional motto, which was data informed and mission guided. What does that mean to you? And, and how is that a motivating force for the type of work that you do? You hear everyone talking about being data driven and, um, you know, it's been around forever. But for me, every time I heard it, it always hit me as a bit uncomfortable. My entire career, I've always been in a space focusing on nonprofit or community serving or civic organizations. Um, and it's weird that the idea of being data-driven would make me uncomfortable because I'm a self-proclaimed data nerd. I'm very proud of that. And then one day I realized is that that phrase data-driven, that implies that the only thing that determines where you go and what you want to do is just the data. Uh, but really, your mission, whether it be your personal mission, your organizational mission, that determines where you want to go. The data just helps you think about a more effective way of getting there. The average Y has 12 full-time employees, which means they don't necessarily have a researcher or a data scientist just sitting there at their beck and call. And so as a national resource office, there was a strong demand from uh, local wise that we look at how we can more effectively collect data so that wise are able to do benchmarking um, of their work, being able to more effectively um, look at community demographics. And so instead of each wise trying to figure out how to do that on their own, the national office um, efficiently developing approaches say, okay, these are some key metrics that we need as a national organization um, and to look at how we're serving communities or how we need to improve the community work that we're doing. And the, the national office is in a position where we could do that a bit more effectively. I imagine since you have now a lot of data to work with, that this could be overwhelming. How do you simplify it and make it digestible to support decision-making by 
managers across the organization? We often like to talk about data and what data we need to have. And I tell people, okay, let's let's not talk about that. Let's talk about what questions do you need to be able to answer. And that's why our initial focus has been understanding the operational health of a why, looking at, okay, what are the factors that can help us understand some whys that may need some additional support, either from a national office or from a neighboring why, and how can we identify what, what those needs might be as soon as possible so that, you know, uh, you know early intervention is always better. And then in addition, how can we identify communities that might need wise services, especially around issues of inequity, where those individuals are now, where they're projected to be, so that the wise appropriately positioned to provide those supports. It's not just about getting more data, but figuring out the right data and how we provide at the right time. I always say it's the plumbing that no one likes to talk about, but it's setting up the databases and it's <laughs> making sure your server's working correctly. No one wants to talk about that. Everyone wants to talk about the pretty maps and visuals, but we've been able to work on really developing that foundation, that infrastructure, so that we're now in the position to develop those more fun parts of it, like data visualizations and maps for our teams. But then the data in and of itself, right? You can't just throw a spreadsheet in front of someone and say, here's this great spreadsheet with hundreds of rows. Now go figure out a different way to do your business. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, some people would be fine with that. A lot wouldn't. And so that's really where the visualization part comes in. Um, and us looking at and being and taking the data and being able to tell a story of, okay, you know, we're talking to a one thing about a why I talked to in the Midwest fairly recently. And they were saying to themselves, you know, we still have people who are coming to us looking for support, even with COVID and with some of the traditional services that we offered not necessarily being available. But th these are new individuals we've not interacted with before. Why weren't they coming to us before? And so that mm -hmm. being able to look at the data on where these individuals live relative to where the why is, as well as looking at where the traditional member base may be come from, um, and being able to show that on a map and showing where members are and where they aren't to help the wide think about, okay, well, how are we going to continue to support these individuals that maybe have not been traditionally a part of the why? One of the why's four strategic organizational goals for 2021 is how to address racial equity. Can you help us understand some of the programs you have in mind? Right. So we as an organization um, are really focused on how, how do we continue to make progress and and becoming a truly anti-racist and multicultural organization. Um, we're doing that in a variety of ways. One is by expanding the set of tools that we have available to assess our internal practices and policies. Um, and really looking at those with the anti-racist lens. We currently have a uh, analytical tool called Diversity Inclusion Global Metrics, which WISE can use to assess their practices and policies. It previously was a tool where the research team would go in our little holes and we would do the analysis and there was a big PDF report created that was given to every why. Now we've been able to do that same analysis and provided an interactive dashboard where Wise can not only see where they are along these metrics, but they can also identify some concrete actions they can take to improve their organizational practices so that it's not just about one why or why or USA becoming an anti-racist multicultural organization, but the entire YMCA network. We're also um, around that work, looking how 
we as a research department that we're using tools to ensure that we're not perpetuating systems that lead to inequity and how we collect our data. So we've been looking at organizations like We All Count um, and UPenn has a center that also has uh, some great data equity toolkits to allow you to look at your approaches for data collection and reporting to make sure that you're not uh, perpetuating any stereotypes or um, that it's got that true anti-racist lens. Where do you see things headed in light of COVID? Can you kind of look into the crystal ball and help us imagine how this will play out for the Y as an organization in the coming year? COVID has allowed people to understand the work that we've always been doing in a different way. So one of the things that we've been talking about um, in particular is around issues of mental health and the impact of social isolation on individuals' well-being. So one of the things that we are actually going to be starting fairly soon is looking at more data around mental health of individuals and starting to think about, okay, where there may be communities with even higher levels of uh, uh, mental health challenges in part because of COVID and how are we making sure that we are resourced appropriately, whether it be through programs or staff to help those communities and some of the challenges that they're going to be facing. Really, we try to take this mindset and, and I'm paraphrasing probably plurally, this futurist named Bob Johansson from the Institute for the Future. One of the things he talks about is our temptation is to think about now and then think about what we need to do next and then think about the future. What we really need to do, though, is we're in now, think about now, then think about the future, and then based upon what the future is going to be, determine what we're going to do next. Prior to joining the Y, you were director of public sector services for a real estate analysis firm. That firm designed and evaluated affordable housing programs. You're also a senior policy analyst for the Chicago Housing Authority. So I wanted to get your experience and thoughts around engaging with city leaders around these hyper-local issues and how they and you approach issues of inequality and social equity. Um, so it, it varied. It's sometimes a challenge when people, when you come in as a quote-unquote outsider, talking to people about an area that they just feel they know. And that's where data can be really helpful because it removes some of that um, some of that sense of, well, you don't know anything about us, like you're not from here. And it's that's where it also becomes really important to think about how you structure the, t- the story behind the data, right? And how you communicate that with people. And um, I think about one example, a county actually here in Illinois asked us to do an analysis to understand why individuals in their community were very segregated by race and neighborhood when looking at census tracts. Um, And they believed it was because, well, individuals who are of color have lower income. So that's why they're segregation. So help us understand how much affordable housing we need to put in place. Well, we knew from the outset that that assumption was not probably correct. And and so what we did was we did, it's known as essentially analysis where you can say, okay, accounting for income, you know, removing that as a factor, is this community segregated? So we did the analysis and found, well, no, even individuals who have higher income who are of color are choosing not to live in certain parts of this community. And so being able to put that up in a map and walk through that analysis and say, okay, well, we accounted for the income, 
but people are still segregated. So you building affordable housing units is not going to really solve the issue. I refer to that as that, as that aha look. People sometimes get in their eye where they're like, oh, I see what you're saying now, <laughs> you know, and it's processed a bit differently when they're looking at a map and you're showing okay, this community is yellow, we're showing as, uh, you know, yellow shade to indicate neutrality, but if more people of color did live here, it would be indicated in green. And we're not seeing a lot of green here. There's something else going on. And that's where you have the conversations with the, the organization leaders. And we said, okay, let's talk about some of the policies you have. What policies might have resulted in some of these communities of segregation that we see and that's when you start hearing say oh well you know we did for a while had this or that's historically an area that had been redlined in the 50s and maybe we're still seeing the results of that so it's really about bringing the data to help sort of neutralize things a little bit to identify the you know go upstream in terms of identifying the source of problems in a community how are you managing the change management so you're putting new tools into managers hands you're, you're putting new visualization capabilities in front of the teams that are you know, managing these community programs. Has it been difficult? Are they excited about what they're receiving? Are you getting challenges for them to use the tools? One of the lessons learned for myself and team was, okay, I need to have more conversations with some of our alliance partners and some of our my colleagues at YUSA who work more directly with Ys to say, okay, what are the use cases we need to give people, right? You can't just say, this is a cool tool, use it. You need to say, okay, you're the membership director at a YMCA. Um, you're thinking about offering some more after-school programs. You want to know how many children in your community. Well, here's how you use the tool to answer that question. Because then it's not about what YUSA can do. It's about what the entire Y network can do with the data and tools to enhance the full 800 Ys. The other part of it is also being realistic about what people have the brain space to be able to process, right? So we can't, even though we could build maybe 30, 40 tools, you can't just throw those out there at people. They need to have time to think about, well, how does it fit with my other work? And mind you, I'm supposed to be also preparing a budget for next year. I've got to do some interviewing of staff. You all may, you know, you may have the expertise in understanding data and how to design tools, but they only matter if someone wants to pick up the tool and they want to use it. So it's really talking with the end user to make sure you understand their needs so you can respond to those. On the topic of democratizing access to these powerful tools, have you had moments in, in your work as a mentor working with others where you really saw someone get it for the first time and sort of light up with these new capabilities? Oh, definitely. One of the tools that I developed is, uh, we call it a community insights tool. And one of the key elements of it is looking at where community facilities are located, like schools, for example. So we had one Y that we were talking with that was considering building a branch because they'd received a, a pretty substantial donation um, and they had some land available and they want to know more about the community where the land was located. And they were able to realize that, no, they actually didn't need to build a location um, in this particular area because there were a ton of schools already in the community. And the schools actually, they turned out, were looking for partners to offer programs. And so instead of using the resources to build a building, the Y was able to talk with their funder and they were able to 
talk with the schools and have the Y operated programs out of the school. It was an after school program in particular that the school um, was looking for partnership with. And so they were able to do that. So earlier you'd mentioned that the data-driven initiative had helped improve the exchange of information and knowledge across the across WISE, the WISE Federation, across its chapters and, and, and mission. Is it helping you with your partnerships? Is it or do you see a future where it helps engage all of the networks and other nonprofits and governments that interface? Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, one of our partnerships is with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and they have developed, which I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with, the county health rankings, um, which looks at the various social determinants of health to identify the health of a county. So I know why is going to talk with the hospital about the diabetes prevention program or, or the program that we have available for cancer um, survivors. We're talking about the community health using the same metric. We're not coming in with our own proprietary thing, right? Because we're a community organization. So that means we need to be able to partner effectively with other community organizations. Because while the Y does a lot and there's probably, you can for every program you can think of, there's probably one Y somewhere that does it. We, we are community conveners. We believe that we can be a both physical space as well as a resource to help bring not just community members together, but other community organizations as well. And so when it comes to the data, by not being gatekeepers and setting up our own data collection, you know, community data information by leveraging the census or other data sets like Raj Chetty's um, social mobility data, that makes it a bit easier to connect with communities when you're talking the at least the same level about what the extent of the problem is and you're not debating about your data source. As a data scientist, as an analyst, what are the technologies, what are the capabilities that you're excited about leveraging in the future that maybe you've not had a chance to, to lean into yet? I think what I'm excited about is that more people have access to technology, especially when it comes to visualization. So people being able to not just access the data, but visualize it um, and, and, and see what the trends are themselves and develop their own insights. That's really what is exciting to me um, is not YUSA creating some neat dashboards and visualizations, but local wise creating it, and YUSA being able to have the technological infrastructure to share that out with other wise. There's so many tools that are now available, um, not just in terms of a, a feasible price point for nonprofits, but in terms of the technical skills and capabilities that you need, yeah, that you don't need rather to be able to use them. I once upon a time I remember. There was programming language you need to essentially know to be able to just do simple bar charts and graphs and maps, and now everyone has um, access to that. So I think ultimately that's what's going to help us make that true shift to being a data-driven, mission-guided organization is because everyone will be able to access not just the data, but also able to generate their own insights. Outstanding. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Esri in the Science of War podcast, and thanks to Maria Alicia Serrano for explaining how location technology has brought enhanced insight to community development. To learn more about how location intelligence drives digital transformation, visit esri.com forward slash dx.